Good morning and welcome to the final day of the Francis Safer Conference on True Spirituality. I want to thank you guys for coming all week. Um, today we're hearing once again from our speaker, Andrew Fellows. Um, over the past few days we've kept him pretty busy with, um, this is his third chapel, also had an afternoon lecture and then several night events. So can we just give him a big thank you right now, first of all, for being here. I've gotten to have several meals with Andrew. It's been a real treat. Uh, Andrew's a big believer in the role that rest plays um, in our work. Uh, he loves the non-believer and sharing Christ's love with them. And even amongst the state of the world today and that where it's headed, he's quick to point out that Jesus Christ is still king. So please welcome Andrew Fellows. Good morning. Well done, you're awake. It's been a delight to be here these last days. I've, I've loved it and um, enjoyed my conversations with, with some of you. So God bless you uh, in the remainder of your time here at Covenant College. This morning we're addressing this question, what is a relationship? This word relationship is a word that Christians throw around a lot, and I believe it's a word we may be overusing. And when we overuse a word, we often turn it into a cliché. And when we turn something into a cliché, we lose the meaning of the word. So the, this morning, I want to try and put the meaning back into this word relationship. I want to rescue it from the cliché. And for me, there's no better way to do this than by engaging the uh, work of a 20th century philosopher. He's a Hasidic Jew by the name of Martin Buber. And Buber wrote one of the most important books of the 20th century entitled, I, Thou. And in this, Buber, in the, in this uh, book, Mr. Buber doesn't once use the word relationship, which is significant for me. But he describes wonderfully what a relationship is. And Buber suggests there are two species of relationship. Relationships exist on two levels or in two dimensions. Firstly, we have the I-it kind of relationship, and then we have the I-thou or the I-you relationship. And briefly this morning, I want us to grapple with these two species of relationships in order to discover their meaning. So how do these two kinds of relationships work? Well, common to both is the I, I-it, I-you. And the I is what constitutes the self or the person, which begins with you as you begin your relationships with others. And that I, which is you, is contained within what some psychologists call an ego boundary. That ego boundary is the limitation of your personhood. So it allows for your individuation from another. So that ensures, and this is good news for you this morning, that I am not you. There's a distinction between us. So that's the I. What about the it and what about the you? Well, let's take my relationship to Helen, the woman who's my wife. When I meet this lovely person as Helen, I enter a relationship on the level of I-you. This is the engagement of subject to subject or person to person. So I-you is what happens between persons. 
Now, as much as I'd like it to be always an IU with my wife, it's not the only way I can deal with her, person to person, because she is also my wife. She's Helen, but she's also my wife. And the moment I name her as my wife, I've objectified her to some degree, and that moves me into I-it. And this is actually crucially important. The category of wife has exclusivity built into it. That means others can't have her as their wife. So we need objective categories in the I-it kind of species. So I-you and I-it. I-you is what occurs between persons, subject to subject. I-it occurs between individuals. It's how we meet and engage people more along the lines of their object side. Now of these two types, I-you is the highest form of relationship. And this is where love is most wonderfully expressed. This relationship between persons that actually exists beyond the borders of nature. We're dealing with something which is supernatural here. So I-U between persons is what gives us our highest meaning in terms of relationship. It's what completes us as persons. Now as wonderful as this is, we shouldn't be romantic and think that we can stay in I-U all of the time. Our experience as creatures in God's reality actually necessitates the I-it. This is how we gain dominion over our worlds. So we require I-it relationships. So both of these types of relationships are normal to human experience. I would say both of them are structured into creation as part of our creator's original design. So they both have a legitimacy. Those of you who are romantics and idealists here will just want to do I-U. It's not possible. We also need I-it. Now, I think there's great value in distinguishing between these two types of relationships. And I say that even though the distinction is not as clear-cut and obvious as I presented this morning. In real life, they're much more tied together, but we're going to distinguish them quickly, and it's very useful to, to feel the distinction. And I say that because we live in a moment historically where all the pressure is towards I-it. Modernity has produced what Max Weber called the iron cage. We live in an age which is dehumanizing people, and that's pushing us almost exclusively to relationships on the I-it level. And that's why here we need to hear Martin Buber, who said this, without it, man cannot live. He wasn't very politically correct, but we'll forgive him. He wrote a long time ago. Without it, man cannot live, but he who lives with it alone is not a man. There's a lot to think about in that statement. And I'm saying modernity is pushing us to live with it alone. And one of the uh, distinctives of the believer should be this, that we know how to live in IU. So in order to dig a little deeper, let me quickly describe the five characteristics of an IU relationship. Firstly, IU involves a mutual and personal encounter. Mutual and personal encounter. Buber says all real living is meeting, the meeting of persons. So IU occurs when persons, two persons, are present to each other. So I am present to you with the fullness of my being, and at the same time, mutually, you are present to me. 
When that happens, we have a personal encounter, a meeting of persons. And this kind of meeting only occurs when persons, the two, mutually extend themselves to each other, subject to subject. And this mutuality requires freedom so that both say yes to the encounter. So I extend myself to you and I leave you free as to whether you're going to reciprocate and say yes to the meeting. And if you do that, we have encounter. There's no coercion, there's no passivity, we're present to each other. We make that choice. Now, not all interactions between humans are this kind of meeting and encounter. Often, we're required to engage others on the level of I, it. Your covenant college students, that is one of your object categories. And being in that category has certain obligations attached to it. And you are required to fulfill those as covenant students. So if you meet your professor in the hallway and she asks you about the essay that was due last Thursday, that professor is imposing her eye on you as an it. You are her student and in that encounter you're not free to not be a student. You're carried along in your it category. So the I, it is a necessary part of life where we're treated according to our object function. But the point is this, if we're treated by it alone, our humanness, our personhood gets obscured. And that's highly damaging. The second characteristic, I, you is transformational. When this meeting I've described occurs, when both persons have said yes, something wonderfully occurs. And it's this that both the I and the you are changed. And even when that encounter is terminated, and that's inevitable, what remains is that both the I and the other, the you, are somehow different. There's been a positive benefit to both. There's been a mutual blessing. And this transformation in both has occurred at the deepest level possible, at the level of our personhood, our hearts, our core selves. You see, when persons, the you, mutually extend themselves to each other, the borders of what we are as persons somehow get enlarged. And that's because as subjects made in the image of God, we're not fixed. Everything in nature is fixed, but we're not fixed. And we can become weightier in terms of our being. I'm not talking about our bodies, I'm talking about our inner life. We can grow and expand, or we can become thinner. And that's possible because of how our Creator has designed us, in the essence of what we are as persons. The I is not fixed. We're not locked into nature. And that's why every meeting of I and you means blessing, transformation, and enlargement. And in every other person we encounter, we encounter the glory of God. Because all persons are imago Dei, the image of the glorious creator. And that's what we encounter in the meeting of persons, I, you. And there is so much glory in every person that if a real meeting happens, you're going to be weightier for that encounter. You're going to become more solid and more real. And that is why I, you is transformational. And let me say here, this is true also of meeting an unbeliever. They still have this glory. And I, you with them, produces the same thing. 
Now, this also accounts for me why those who are starved of these kind of meetings tend to be thin and ghost-like, because this transformational nature of, of relationship doesn't occur. Now, when we look at I-it, it works very differently, because the I-it is not something that occurs on the level of the personal. It's a much more utilitarian encounter. It's a connection more of parts and individuals. So you pull up at the drive-thru at McDonald's and the guy who serves up your burger, well, he's just the hamburger guy and you're the customer, you have your transaction, you really haven't changed each other. All that's changing you that you've eaten something which is terribly unhealthy and puts lots of calories into your body. That's the only change. It's not transformational at the deeper level. So IU is transformational. Thirdly, and this one's really important, IU is unclassified. It's unclassified. What do I mean by that? Well, as humans, we have this incredible capacity to name and to label everything in our universe. We have a signifier for absolutely everything. Now, when it comes to relationships, we also engage in the naming. And this naming occurs on two levels. Firstly, we have what I call primary naming. And this is the way we signify persons. We greet the other as Andrew, or as Liz, or as Sarah. That's the primary name that each of us carry. And the thing about these primary names is, they, is that they function in such a way as to leave us unclassified. They don't box us in. They don't fix us in the world of objects. And that's because others share our primary name. So it has this marvelous function of not objectifying us. And that leaves the core person intact in the Andrew or the Sarah or the Ethelbert, or whatever it is. That's the first level of naming. The second is the secondary naming, I call it, and this works quite differently. This is about different labels and tags, and we need labels and tags to organize life. We do it in lots of different ways, thousands of different ways. Yankee, Confederate, well, here's a big one for your country, Republican, Democrat. These are labels, these are tags. Male, female, even that one is a kind of tag. Now this kind of labeling and tagging is necessary. It has a real truth function. We organize reality by means of our tags. The problem is that it tends to fix and categorize persons. And we need to see that there is actually no appropriate label that ever signifies a person. Only our creator uh, does this adequately when he says, you are my image. That's the only thing that signifies a human person. These other tags can't get at the person. So when I say that IU is unclassified, I'm saying that the meeting occurs beyond these categories, these classifications that we love to use. So the meeting takes place beyond one's national classification, English, American or their state classification, Tennessee, New York. It, it takes place beyond our sexual classifications, heterosexual, homosexual. It takes place even beyond the categorization of Christian and non-Christian. All of these exist at the level of an object function, and they may all be true, but it doesn't get to the core of personhood. 
So IU functions beyond these classifications that exist more on the object side. That's how we, what happens in an IU encounter. Now, it's quite different with the I-it, because these kinds of relational encounters tend to function entirely within categories and within labels. And the problem is this, if we overuse categories and labels with, the other, with other persons, we begin to fix them. And we turn them from persons into individuals. And individuals can be categorized and put in all kinds of boxes. And I think today that's going on constantly in our relational encounters. We're struggling often to put someone into the box, to categorize them. Are you an athlete or are you one of these brain people? I call this itting all over people. We do it a lot. We it on them. And we do it too much. Fourthly, IU functions in exclusivity. What do I mean by that? Well, Buber defines it beautifully. He says, the you in the IU, the you fills the heavens. Everything else lives in the light of the one. It's a beautiful description. The you that you're engaging fills the heavens. So you're in a room full of people, but you're having an IU meeting encounter, and that engagement with the other is so great that the rest of the room falls away. The you fills the horizon. You forget everybody else in the room. And the point is the other you can fill the heavens because there's enough glory in every person to hold our attention. And actually, love and attentiveness really go together. To love someone is to be attentive to them so they fill the horizon of your interest and your engagement. Now, if you're engaging someone on the I-it level, you're highly alert to everything going on in the room. You know, you want to know who's where. I wonder if that girl's looking at me. I hope she notices I'm here. You hear snatches of other conversation. That conversation sounds way more interesting than the one I'm in. So in the I-it encounter, the other is just one amongst many. And we don't see the utter uniqueness and glory of their Imago Dei. Rather, we see the one, how they fit into the whole. They don't fill the heavens. And I think often in our encounters with others, we too often fail to offer ourselves with a degree of attention that's exclusive. So they fill the heavens, they fill the horizon. We fail to pierce through to that person's glory and to be held by it as we engage them. Years ago, when I put my youngest daughter to bed, I'd be talking, I'd be reading, but often I'd drift off, think about what I needed to do tomorrow, think about some kind of an idea. I'd go other places in my mind, and my daughter would just say, Dad, you're not here anymore. She'd call me out on it. She'd call me back to this kind of relational encounter. She realized I'd fallen out of IU, and she wanted me to come back. The fifth characteristic. IU is non-instrumental. It's a non-instrumental relationship. Let me begin here with how I-it functions. In the I-it, the encounter always tends towards being instrumental. The other has a certain function, and we treat them according to their function. That's how we engage them. So we use them as an instrument to a certain end. They're the means to an end. And within institutions, this has to be. It's not illegitimate. There's a right place for this. 
So someone in the admin department here has a specific role. And they have to be treated according to their role. They're instruments to get a certain job done. It's utterly necessary. So each within the system has an object function that helps the goal get achieved. It's means to end. And every person is part of the machine to keep the whole thing running smoothly. Necessary to Covenant College. Now my thing is this. We live today in a world, the world of modernity, where almost every part has been turned into a machine. Every person functions within the machine. This is what Max Weber was getting at when he talked about the iron cage of modernity, the machine-like nature of the world we live in. And the point is this, if persons are always dealt with instrumentally, this damages and dehumanizes them. We live today in a dehumanized world, and one of the reasons is because they're always dealt with in terms of I, it, instrumentality. So we use the other for a means, but this can be very damaging. And sometimes we use other persons for our own self-interest. Now that is very damaging. Within an institution, it's legitimate, but if we use others instrumentally for our own interest to gratify our own desires, we really violate the person. And rape is the ultimate example of this. When a man forces a woman to have sex with him, he drags the person, the subject, into the world of object. That's all she is, is an object. And he uses her body instrumentally to satisfy his sexual appetites. Now that is the most terrible violation of a subject. That woman goes through unspeakable damage and destruction because she's turned into pure object to satisfy someone else's sexual needs. So it reduces the person to object. And I would say any kind of relating that violates the subject like that is a terrible abuse of relationship. Now one of the beautiful things about IU is that the means collapse. It's the kind of encounter where I am present to you and you are present to me just for the meeting. That's the end, to meet each other, to have this encounter. There's no specific end, no specific agenda for why we're together. So we engage each other in love. It's a non-instrumental engagement. So, I, you, and I, it are both necessary to human life, to human experience. The concern we must have today is this, that we live in a moment where we're increasingly we're being pushed into I, it. And I believe this requires that we move intentionally as Christians towards IU. And we think about how within our institutions we can have more and more spaces for these kind of encounters. It's this that's going to change the world. In terms of the iron cage we live in today, we have to reach out for more and more IU kinds of meetings with believers and with unbelievers. Let's pray together. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are a person, the personal God, the personal God-man, who relates to us as persons, who loves us in this I-you kind of encounter. And we pray that you would help us to extend this to others. We pray that you would give to us a clear understanding of the distinction between these two kinds of relationships. We thank you for both of them, but we remember what Buber taught us, that he who lives by it alone is not a man. So, Lord, help us 
by the help of your Holy Spirit, to engage each other more and more in the IU. Thank you for the glory of relationship, for its transformational possibility. So work this deeply in us, we pray, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand. Praise God from Peace.